Welcome to Mission Revive, a podcast dedicated to hope and healing through God's transforming love, where your hosts, anchored in truth and armed with faith, are changing the world and reviving hearts with Jesus, one conversation at a time. Hi. Welcome to this episode of The Mission Revive Podcast. I'm Bob Newberry, and I'm a board member of Revive Hope and Healing Ministries, a collection of Catholic apostolates impelled by the Holy Spirit. My partner, as always, for today's podcast is Ann Costa, founder and executive director of Revive Hope and Healing Ministries. Welcome, Ann. Well, great, Bob. I'm so glad to be here. And uh, I am excited to be able to welcome someone that I met. I had the joy of meeting at a Magnificat breakfast in um, Albany Diocese. I got a chance to go speak with beautiful women and I got to sit next to uh, a, a lovely lady who just exuded exuded the Holy Spirit of, yeah. of Jesus. And um, her name is Sister Teresa Grace Velarjan. And uh, I would like to share her bio with you because I, I, I as I already know, you you connected on many levels with her uh, with her interests besides being a sister of the resurrection. So here yeah. she is. I want to talk about her. She is actually the vocation director of the Sisters of the Resurrection in New York, Providence, and lives at the Sisters Providence um, House, which is in Castleton on the Hudson, Castleton on Hudson, New York. And Sister Teresa Grace entered the congregation in 1992, and she professed her perpetual vows in 2000. She holds a bachelor's degree in accounting and an MBA from the uh, State University of New York, Albany. Her current ministry is with the diocese within the finance office at the Diocese of uh, Albany, and her title is Parish Bookkeeping Support Specialist, which is a uh, a really nice way of saying that she does everything. Well, actually, she helps everybody <laughs> to do their job so that everybody knows what they're doing. And she explained that to me. And um, I know she gets great joy in being able to teach and mentor people in that regard. So St. Teresa Grace is uh, the fifth of six children and a native of New Hampshire. She is very passionate about four things okay well we know everything related to boston sports her beautiful family the resurrection spirit which she's going to share with us um, and she shares with everybody that she needs and the privilege to journey with young women as they discern god's call for them in their lives so sister without any further ado please come on and join us there she is good hey. morning good morning everybody hello how are you how did I do? Was that an okay? Uh, was that did I did I do a good justice with your bio there? You did very well, Ann. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we had fun at the Magnificat breakfast, didn't we? Yes, and, we did. Uh, you you got you gave a short talk, and um, also I just couldn't uh, I couldn't I was overwhelmed by your spirit, and I really just wanted everyone to know you and know what you're doing. So I've introduced you to some other people too, and said you've got to come on our podcast. And share your vocation story, which I don't know. Yeah. So where would you like to start? Well, um, one of the places I like to start when I'm sharing my vocation story is that at a young age, I wanted to be a sister. I thought about it a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. The influence in my life, certainly with my uncle, 
my uncle Al um, Pilargin, and he was a diocesan priest in New Hampshire, my dad's brother. So he was always around, and I guess what he emulated was some real normalcy. Uh, he would hug us. He'd go golfing with my dad. He'd certainly give us a blessing. But his presence in my life was very important. I didn't know it at the time, but I can look back and, and certainly share that. One of the first things I ever did to take action, uh, before even I told my parents, I was 12 years old. And for those of you who do not know, know Dear Abby, she is a, an advice columnist. So she appeared in my daily newspaper every day, and I would, I would read it once in a while. But I said, you know, I'm going to ask her what I'm supposed to do with my life. I actually wrote a letter, and I remember it was in pencil. Mm. And I said, is it, so, is it normal for someone like me at my age to want to be a nun? So I did not put in the obligatory self-addressed stamped envelope because I was afraid my parents would find out. So I said, please don't answer me personally. Uh, please answer me in the newspaper. I look forward to hearing from you. Off went the letter, and weeks turned into months, and she never answered me in the newspaper. Um, but later in my life, I, I took that as an answer that the, God, the, the answer to a religious vocation does not come from outside of God and yourself. Uh, it has to come from inside my heart and certainly uh, from Jesus Christ himself. So that's kind of the, the neat part of my, the beginning of my, my quest. Uh, another thing is move ahead to high school. And as a 12th grader, we were assigned uh, the, the important task of videotaping someone with a job. Anybody in my hometown, my hometown is very small, um, 3,000 people. So, and I graduated with 49 other students. I chose the vocation of the sister uh, Sister of Holy Cross, who was the religious ed coordinator in my parish. And I said, well, that's a job. And But my ulterior motive was to find out what makes her click. Why did she do what she did? So in effect, it was a vocation uh, experience for me, but it had to be videotaped. So I did the interviewing. My partner, Cindy, actually did the videotaping. We had to present that in my class. And the round of applause I got was fantastic. I mean, people had never thought of a sister as having, quote unquote, a job. You know, but I knew it was ministry, you know, but we, we talked about it as work. So, I mean, my dad was a barber. Somebody did him. There was a doctor in town, a nurse. I mean, it was pretty neat. But the teacher allowed us to go last. And I thought that was great because it left an impression on my student, on my classmates. Mm -hmm. So then I entered college. I met a wonderful guy. Uh, we actually dated for a year and a half. He's a math grad student. And we talked about marriage. Uh, we we talked about having kids and, you know, being engaged and all those things that come with relationship. Devout Catholic, wonderful young man. And the more I thought about being a married woman, the more I felt God tugging my shoulder. And not that I was deciding one thing better than another. They were two goods. But God was kind of closing the door on marriage and opening the door wider on religious life. I confided in him one evening as we sat in the car overlooking the Atlantic Ocean. And I said, you know, I said, this thing is happening to me. And come to find out, prior to his graduate studies, he had been thinking of the priesthood. But his director had said, you know, maybe you need to go out. Maybe you'll meet someone. I think you're more suited to marriage. Well, it was like two ships coming like this and then discovering through our relationship that we're going this way. So. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful story. Um, you know, we broke up amicably. It was a, it was a very 
wonderful friendship. I have not kept in touch with him. He's in Massachusetts and I'm here in New York. But I always looked at that as a gift that I was able to really discern um, because I would have like family members or cousins say, you love kids. You just absolutely love kids. You're going to be a mom someday. But you know, I still love kids and you don't have to be a mom to love kids. And I have a large, large family. Um, so, and I love all my grandnieces and nephews, my nieces and nephews. Uh, so then kind of move ahead. Um, after college, I was working for the veterans, Department of Veterans Affairs as the title was chief accountant. So I had four people under me spent three years. During those three years, uh, the VA automated all of its accounting and warehouse and, and the, the VA wrote its own software. They verified their own software. They did all sorts of things. So it was, it was with mainframes, right? I'm giving away my age. Um, <laughs> it was no, no PCs, no laptops, no tablets, no cell phones. And I ended up being hired uh, to move to Troy, New York and to take on this job as the accounting um, support specialist for all the VA medical centers in New York State and New England. So we were region one. So I took the job. Uh, it was a wonderful experience. And in the first year, I remember, actually, go back a second. I remember leaving New Hampshire. My mother said to me, of all my kids, I never thought you would leave home. She said, I always thought you'd stay in New Hampshire and kind of hang out. And we kind of had this conversation. And I said, well, it's going to be hard for me. I'm a real homebody. I, I love to be home wherever that home is. And I made the trip. I'm going down I-90 West. I'm heading towards Albany, uh, you know, uh, the day before Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I said to God, you have to leave me alone. I Just give me a year. And I literally said that through tears because I needed to concentrate on what I thought was my career. And I kept feeling all through those years, uh, grammar school, high school, college, God tapping. But at this point, I told God, that's it. <laughs> Leave me alone. Times, and, right? right. And for that whole year, I didn't feel the call to religious life at all. 53 weeks later, so uh, a year and a week, I was in New Hampshire for my parents' 40th wedding anniversary. All of us kids came home. My parents didn't know. So from six different states, we all converged uh, in Newmarket, New Hampshire. And one night, my brother Vic said to me, do you still think about being a sister? I broke into tears and I said, I don't know. And he said, you would make a good one. Mm -hmm. And it was really the first time that someone in my family had really affirmed me in this possible choice. So skip ahead. I go back to Albany, um, you know, lots of conversation. I didn't talk to my parents about it, just between Vic and I. Went to Albany. I lived in Albany, worked in Troy, and the Albany Diocese was having the Called by Name program. And the Call by Name program was for people in uh, the parishes to nominate someone who they thought had the characteristics of living a religious life. So the first year was for priests, the second year religious, the third year for lay people. I was in year two and didn't even know it. Hmm. So, so here were the papers at St. James Church. I filled out my own. I said, I don't know anybody. I filled out my own name. It says, who nominates you? I said, myself. <laughs> so... Yeah. I put it in the I put in the collection basket. A couple of weeks later, received a letter from uh, the vocation director for the Sisters of the Resurrection. She was head of uh, the the religious life, I guess, conference or committee here in the diocese. 
And I went to this day uh, in August, 100 degrees, it was so hot. And I went into a room, two other women, plus, you know, who are discerning, but a sister in their parish made them go. So they were there just for fun. They were much younger than I. And the bishop was there for lunch. There were priests, there were sisters, there were brothers. And there was something about the Sister of the Resurrection that made me say to myself, I need to be like her. There is something coming out of her that I want, I need, we need to talk. So I was leaving the pastoral center where this meeting was taking place. She was back in the center cleaning, cleaning up from our meeting. I said, I have to go back in. Certainly the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I went back in She and she, she said, hey, she said, what, what's happening? And I said, and I lied. I said, I lost my pen which <laughs> I did not, but I, I didn't know what other way to get back into the room. She starts moving furniture, and I'm like, no, 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 it's all right, it's all right. You know, I, I can use another pen. Long story short, we sat down, we talked. I told her what was in my heart, and I had no intention of being a sister of the resurrection, but the advice from someone else was find someone who's joyful, happy, loves God, and listen to why all those things are happening. So. We sat, we talked, I told her, I don't know how to pray. And that's what happens a lot of time with women that I've met. I don't know how to pray, but she assured me that I did. My, my presence to God, you know, all, all these different things. I was, I was going to mass every day. I prayed the rosary when I traveled. I did spiritual reading. I didn't even know I was doing those things. But she said, you are praying. So when that was lifted off my shoulder, I said, all right, I'll come talk to you. So I came to Castleton, 15 minutes from where I was living. And time went on. I met the sisters. I was a blue jeans and sneakers kind of girl. And the sisters were a habit. But you know, the important thing to share here is I saw beyond the habit. I saw a group of women that were so loving and so joyful that it didn't matter what they were wearing. I, I wanted to be a part of this. And I would visit like every week or so. I couldn't wait to get to Castleton because it was fun. It was beautiful. It was loving, joyful. Why would I not want to be a part of that? Mm -hmm. So then I go back home. I even come back to the convent to visit, sitting on the bed in my dorm room. And I looked out the window and I saw the airplanes and the plane, the, the, the boats on the Hudson River. And I said, God, is this really where you want me? And I saw him kind of go, oh, <laughs> what more do you want me to show you? Because uh -huh. people had spoken to me. I had the right feelings. I had I had just incredible things happened to me over 26 years, you know, 27 years. Mm -hmm. So I knew. And I asked my vocation director, I was on a Wednesday, and my, my, my May 13th, and I said, I'd like to enter as an affiliate. I would like to begin the process. That day, one of our sisters passed away. So I took that to mean the sister Melanie made room for me. Mm -hmm. pretty pretty amazing stuff when I think about it so I prayed to her every May 13th and um, you know that that was the day that I decided will you have me and the whole journey I mean there's so much more to the story but that's kind of like the straight line yeah uh, my parents were pretty excited when I told them although my mother had one question I'll leave you with this one night late I was watching the Red Sox it was like a West Coast game so it was like 1130 at night in my home, I was on vacation, and she got up. And she came sit next to me on the couch. I only had the TV on, and she said, "Do you have to change your name?" 
And I looked at her, and in my community, we do not. So I said, no. And she said, that's good. Because she says, your father and I worked very hard to give you your name. And it is Teresa Grace. Mm. And I really thought, what an amazing thing, because it's, it's a gift from my mom and dad, and which I had never thought about. So wow. God put me in the right community. See, things were starting to point to say, this is good. Uh, my, my parents, very supportive after that. Um, although every time I called home until final profession, my mom would say, are you still happy? And I say, yes. And she said, well, you know, you can always come home. But after I made my final profession, she stopped asking. It was, I, I noticed it. She was like, mom, you didn't ask me. She goes, well, I know you're okay. You know? <laughs> oh, so, mother never stops being a mother. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, so that's kind of the truck, crux of it. Um, uh, again, God writes, you hear it, God writes uh, straight with crooked lines. And that certainly was my direction. But I had to leave New Hampshire to find the Sisters of the Resurrection. And little did I know this was it. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Well, what strikes me first is that that's a great, great, loving uh, <laughs> journey that you took with the Lord. And it, what, what strikes me is he is very patient. Is he not? Is he yeah. patient? He's so yeah. patient. He, he did not force his will on you. He mm -hmm. honored your will, which he will always do, right? He'll always yeah. honor our will. He doesn't want, he, it, we have to come to him freely and you did. And how beautiful. Thanks. I leave it up to God, right? I mean, yeah. and it is free will. It is yeah. free will. Yeah, it is. It's making me cry. Bob, <laughs> do you have anything that you'd like to add before um, I start firing questions? Well, well yeah, I, I do. I, um, uh, where do I begin? <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm very curious about, uh, sister, your, your work with, uh, uh, younger people really, uh, helping, helping them discern, mm -hmm. uh, future, yeah. you know, and I, I've, I've spent many years. I've done, uh, I won't kill you with the details or bore you, but I've spent a lot of, uh, years with young people, um, uh, engaging them in goal oriented, purposeful thinking. Okay. And, and mm -hmm. what I observed over that, period of time is is uh that you can really approach that work in in two ways one way is uh uh what kind of purpose uh goals do you want to set for yourself or uh what is it that uh you think that god uh has in mind for you in terms of goal and purpose and so mm -hmm. forth and i mm -hmm. and i uh uh I'm so I'm I'm really fascinated with that whole process, and I I I wonder if if you could uh, share how you how you work with young people and and how you engage them in that process of discerning and, and what mm -hmm. you've learned what you've learned from that. Well, um, it, it's an amazing process. Uh, I think my witness, okay, uh, as a sister of the resurrection, is what draws people to come over and chat. And I have to be approachable. Uh, one of my greatest icebreakers is even being in upstate New York or other parts of the country. I am, because I'm so sports oriented, uh, I'm able to challenge someone lovingly and fun and say, are you a such and such a fan? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, Red Sox fan, sorry. And they'll laugh and they'll be like, oh, it's terrible. And I'll say, it brings you to a higher level of Christian love. And then they kind of <laughs> they laugh about that. 
And so I think ice breaking, you know, being comfortable to to admit something about myself as mundane as being a Red Sox fan is, um, there could be the ice breaking piece with young people. And then they're like, wow, she's kind of a normal person. Um, I think there's a misperception, right? We, we pray all day, at least my community. We're an apostolic, contemplative community. And no, I do not pray 12 hours a day. Um, those women who do, it's a very beautiful thing. But that is not my life. So they, they find the approachability, I think, important. I think the other thing is not to be afraid to share uh, my story. And, and also the, um, when they hear that, and I, I take it from my own experience, when they hear about like the fear that you went through, the excitement that I went through, so all the feelings, and, and they'll ask, they'll say, why did you become a sister? That's a common question from young people. Why, why do you wear what you wear? Why, why, did, why are you doing this? And to share not only um, what I do or how I came to do it, but what I felt when I was doing it. So they tend to resonate with the fear, um, the excitement, the joy, the unknown. Yeah. And I, I think there's a relatability to that. I also make sure that when I am with younger people, and, and I've been with high school kids, I've been with grammar school kids, it's a genuineness. I don't try to be any person that I am not. And God has given me an outgoing personality, not to say that a shy person can't do this sort of work, but I'm willing to get down on their level. I try to keep in touch a little bit with their music. Not everything. I mean, it's not everything I like, but I know what's going on in the world. We'll talk about it. And it, it's important, I think, to, to remain educated, you know, what's happening in their world. Mm-hmm. I, I think also when I've worked with young adults, I, I do help out. I don't, I don't really help. But I, I, I've given talks to young adults, 20s and 30s. And again, the questions always come up, you know, how could you have left the world and given everything up? And I said, my gosh, I said, I am richer now than I ever have been. So to to know and to be comfortable with my vocation, right, it is so critical. And I think the final thing I want to say, like even with discerning women, is to let them know that I'm not a recruiter. I don't look for numbers. We have never been a community that wants to draw in 10, 12, 14 people, although, hey, that would be wonderful, right? Um, but I think what happens is when I speak to a young woman, it's the privilege of journeying with her. And if someone expresses an interest, I'm there. Let's talk. Can we have coffee? How can I help you to discover the vocation that God has called you to? Yeah. I used to I used to work at a high school for 14 years, our, our all-girls high school in Westchester County. And I would talk to the senior class every year for those 14 years. And I would tell them, you have one of three vocations. And they would moan and groan. And, you know, they say, but I want to be a, a doctor. I said, you can still be a doctor, but you can be a sister. And they would say, well, I want to be a lawyer. Well, you still could be a canon lawyer. So I had an answer for this because really it's either, you know, a consecrated life slash priesthood, religious life, I mean, married life, and a single life. Mm-hmm. So we would talk about these three vocations. And when people hear that, they get a little serious because it's like, wow. I said, God gave you that, your baptism, right? Mm-hmm. You, you already have it. And like, but I want to be married. I said, then that's fantastic. We've had women come through here who are very young, so young adults, who are better because they knew us, right? So, and I think that's the same way with anybody who's ministering to young people. 
they, young people need to know that they're better off for having known you. Mm-hmm. And again, to be true to yourself, right? And honest and joyful. I mean, and the most joyful people I've seen is some of my, my married friends. So anyway, so I don't know if I answered your question, but I kind of went off a little bit. But the genuineness, the realness. Yes. No, that's yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I uh, my observation with with increasingly with young people is there's a uh, there's a, a growing cluelessness um, about number one that that they can exercise choice in building a future, correct. And number two uh, that there there really is some predictability to to building a, a satisfying, meaningful. Um, uh, future, and I, I, I appreciate your 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 thoughts about the three vocations and and sharing them, uh, sharing that thought, that kind of paradigm with with your uh, your students it gives them something to um, to reflect upon. And and yeah, yeah, that's good. I I could go on for another few hours uh, talking about this, but uh, um, it's uh, good work. Good work, sister. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. how do you, how do you come in contact with these um, young people uh, through your diocese? Obviously, and you do you go out and speak, or how is it that people can learn more? Well, there's two ways in the Albany Diocese that I've done things. Uh, I mean, it's certainly advertising who we are, uh, like in some of the free, um, the calendar, right in the Catholic newspaper, the advantage. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So if we have something, I make sure the word gets out there. Okay. The, other, the other two ways, which has been happening, is there is a young adult group uh, spread out all through the diocese. And there's a gentleman by the name of Tom Cronin, and he oversees these. He helps to set them up. I, I try to attend with my younger sisters and even the others who aren't so young. Uh, we try to go to these events, whether it's a barbecue, whether it's a you know, simply, I mean, adoration of Blessed Sacrament Fellowship, you know, they're doing a rosary talk, mass. I mean, there are events that are advertised throughout the diocese, and we try to go to them. So we're not there preaching. We're not there giving talks. We're being present. Mm-hmm. And then when they all gather for fellowship, we don't just sit together. We spread out and talk to different groups. And I make sure, which has been really fun, I, I can say hello to a door and get the door to say hello back. <laughs> So I I will walk to every table, every person and say, good evening or good afternoon. Good morning. How are you? And and it gets them out of themselves. It gets them looking at me. It, it's just to engage. The second thing is I have been invited several times to speak to the young people. I've been invited by, and that word has gotten out, and I've been able to speak at parishes. I'm currently giving a talk called The Eucharist and the Saints because of the Eucharistic Revival. I've done that talk for four different, three different parishes and one mother's group. And even though they had all babies at the mother's group, well, we're planting seeds because yeah. those moms, those moms someday will talk about maybe the sisters of the resurrection or religious life to the little ones, you know, who are now teenagers or 18 year olds. So, so those are the two ways really primarily um, without doing something in our own provincial house, but we have hosted one of those young adult events and we had adoration. 
rosary, a time to talk. We had four sisters on a panel. These young people could ask anything they wanted of the four of us. So we are planning in the future. We have a large courtyard and we are planning at some point in the fall to maybe have a barbecue uh, to invite these young people and just be present. Say, hey, we're here. Um, come look at us. Right. So are you part of the Diocese of Albany or are you you're, you're separate or how does that what is the relationship there? Yeah, we, we are we are within the Diocese of Albany, but, you know, we are a pontifical institute. So okay. we're all we're all over the world, um, but Superior General is in Rome, and so we're Pontifical Institute versus, I believe, a diocesan institute. So okay. that that would directly under the bishop, although we are obedient, um, certainly uh, to the to the magisterium. But if the bishop were to ask us something, you know, we would discern that, and uh, we can certainly, you know, we we do respect him and talk to him and are obedient. But again. The distinguishing thing is that we are a pontifical institute. Okay. So you go to, you don't just stay in, the, you could go to other dioceses, in other words, to speak. That's correct. Yes. That's correct. I, I've traveled. I, I went to a young adult uh, uh, gathering in, um, I don't remember, it's called Here I Am Lord Conferences, in, just outside Illinois. I did that a couple of years. I was uh, the keynote speaker one time for that. Mm -hmm. uh, thousands of young people. Uh, it's the first mm -hmm. time I ever did something like that. <laughs> but I, I try to remember it's, it's no different than having 20 girls in the classroom. Yeah. It's just a lot, a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, though. It is true. I'm sure it was fine for you. Can you can you talk to me a little bit about I know it's hard to talk about. It's hard to put in words. But this charism of the resurrection that that you have, that your particular um, order has. Mm -hmm. about that? Our charism is basically to, to bring the love of God to others and, and to change society somehow, to, to bring about a rebirth in society. By, by wanting to do that, we bring hope and joy to a broken, suffering world. So it's really living the Paschal mystery. Uh, we understand that life is filled with the Good Friday experience, but we also know that those experiences end with Easter Sunday, with the, with the risen Lord. So we, we are committed to being the joyful we try life is hard <laughs> there are times when i'm not very joyful but in ministering or being with people and it, it starts at home we need to do this with ourselves in my in my province of sisters if i can't be joyful and loving towards one of my sisters how can i do that outside of my local community my congregation so we it is bringing joy and hope and and again if people are really suffering, suffering is redemptive. And we know that from Christ's life. Mm -hmm. So we don't poo-poo the suffering. Right. Uh, we, we walk with someone during suffering, but there's also this underlying faithfulness that things will be better. And if that is eternal life with God, then so be it. You know, I saw that with my own parents who died of cancer, both of them at different times. And although it was, it was tremendous suffering, they knew because of faith, I was also able to bring a dimension of that by talking about the resurrection. You know, we just don't die and get buried into the ground. We, we will resurrect with our Lord. He has promised us that. And so it's bringing that attitude to others. Yeah, so it's, it, really, it's really putting the, you know, hope in action. It's putting the, um, mm -hmm. you know, the virtue of hope in action and, yes. and deed. 
which is very powerful and what we need yeah. so much of right now. Say. We do. We do. And, and one, one of the things that's very, I like is many people will say, what, what were you founded to do? The phrase to do. And our community was not founded for a doing. It was founded to be. And so we have many ministries. We, we obviously were teachers 150 years ago, right? We, we worked in hospitals. We did the, the traditional healthcare education sort of ministries. But to be an accountant and a computer specialist for the Diocese of Albany, that, you know, there, there are some health and education, you know, tied into that, but what isn't? And so when people do say, what do you do? Some communities founded just to be teachers. You know, the, the Dominicans of Hawthorne, right? Just uh, end of life care, right? They're, they're downstate and that's what they do. They, they have hospices and nursing homes for terminally ill. But the Sisters of the Resurrection were founded for a way of being. So women of the Eucharist, women of hope, women of joy, women of love. And, you know, it, it's neat. I mean, people like, you mean I can do anything? Well, within the, the bounds of the community. And, and you know, I, I was told by my original vocation director, uh, I can't guarantee you what you'll be doing in 10 years from now. And I said, this is unbelievable. I'm going to embark on an amazing adventure. But God has a sense of humor. And I have always done computers and accounting and software support. <laughs> nice. But outside of that, I've done many other things. It really hasn't restricted your life at all. It has, no. it has brought the, the deeper fruit. It, it's, it's made you blossom. Your yeah. vocation hasn't tamped you down. It's brought you out and out again and more into who you really are, right? Yes. That's yes. a beautiful thing. Were you going to say something, Bob? Well, just I love the distinction between doing and being. Mm. Uh, and uh, uh, that's something worth talking about a whole lot more with, with folks. And uh, mm. um, yeah, yeah, I, I, very cool. Very it cool. is. And, and one thing I was going to say is, is for anybody, any Christian, any person, that attitude is, what if someday I can't work? What if someday I'm crippled? What if someday something happens to me physically or emotionally, I can't work? So it's not what I do. It, it's who I am as, as a daughter of Christ, as a son of Christ, you know? And, and so that, that idea is, is critical, especially today, because everybody wants to do, 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 do. and you know, we've got eighth graders and ninth graders saying, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a nurse, which is so excellent. But it's like, but you know, how are you going to do it? How do you want to be? You know, you want to be loving, you want to be kind, generous, you know, so we can all do something, yeah. right? But it's it's how we are in our attitude. Yeah. Can you talk, sister, about uh, the role that the Eucharist plays in that being? Definitely. Uh, the Eucharist is the center of my day. And it even says that uh, in our constitutions. And we have daily mass. We also have, except for Saturdays, daily adoration before the Blessed Sacrament. So that gives me energy. That gives me peace. That gives me hope, right, to be before my Eucharistic Lord. We do that as a congregation. Uh, the first Sunday of every month, congregationally, entire world. We have a retreat day with the exposition of Blessed Sacrament. So in my personal life, extremely important, more than extremely important. It's necessary. 
because I think without sitting before the Lord in the Eucharist or receiving him, I can't do what I'm doing. No, I can't be who I am. You know, if we go from the doing to the being. And a remarkable thing that the Eucharist is part of my life. And I'm seeing so many young people want adoration. They're hungry. They understand some of it, but they have no idea that they can do it. And so that's why we invite people to come here and to have adoration with us. Mm. I, I think, too, with this Eucharistic revival that's happening, uh, God willing, that will reach out far beyond our diocese, our communities. It, it's such a critical thing that we come back, because I, I know you've heard this, but I was flabbergasted two years when I heard this, that the study is, right, there's an enormous amount of people in this country that don't believe in the real presence. It's like, wow, <laughs> you know, I just, how can you stop believing? Yeah. So our society is so different. It's so mixed up that people don't know what they're missing. Yeah. Right. But the Eucharist plays an important part in my life as a sister, in our congregation, as well as I think going out to mass. Uh, I read something very recently that was so wonderful. We receive Jesus in the Eucharist. So we have an inner tabernacle. But can we be an outer tabernacle for others? So when I read that, when I read that just a few weeks ago, I thought, am I being another Christ? After I receive communion, we hear those stories. People go to mass and then they're shoving for a parking place, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. it's easy it's easy to do that. That's human nature, right? I can walk out of chapel after receiving the Lord and then I, I see my sister do something. It's like, how can she do that? <laughs> <laughs> but we, we put the reins on. We, we think yeah. about what we've said, what we've done. But yes, I mean, without the Eucharist, what is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I just, yeah, thank you. I just have one last thing that I want to say. Hi. Um, about about you're going to to speak to uh, mothers groups, and I know when I was a young mother of my daughter Mary Grace, that I had a, a little mother's prayer book, and in it was one prayer of of what her vocation would be, you know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, even way back then, I, I prayed for her to be a nun, okay? Well, actually, my prayer was, I just want her to love you, Jesus, more than I do. And I don't really, and I don't know that that's possible, but I want her to love you more. And mm-hmm. and I, I just think that it's such a beautiful thing for a mother to pray for her daughter's vocation, no matter mm-hmm. what it is. And so when I heard that you went and spoke with with mothers i i hope that you get an opportunity to do much more of that mm-hmm. because it starts in the home you said it earlier it starts in the home it does Vocations start right in the right in the rocking chair you know yeah and, and actually to add to that um our formation directress sister dolores marie she tells the story of one time when she wanted to enter and her mom made some kind of comment i can't quote it but something to the effect of you belong to God, you know, not to me, but we've been given the opportunity to care for you, something like that. Now I'm paraphrasing, but her mom was so happy and loving to give Sister Dolores Marie the opportunity to enter the religious life. So I always found that story so amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, we say Mary is our mother, right? God is our father, and our parents really 
have taken care of us to nurture us and, and to help us to grow. And that's, that's what's so critical, right? But yes, um, parents need to be okay with their kids wanting to do something as radical as consecrated life or priesthood. And there are many parents who get in the way of their children doing something like that. And then I think maybe years later, they just, the young people discover, I am doing this, right? So yeah. it, it can take time or it can snuff out the vocation. Yeah. 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 Well, your witness of joy is very powerful. So how can anybody, any group or any person get in touch with you? What was the easiest, quickest, surest way to get in touch with you? Yeah, the best way is through our website. It's www.resurrectionsisters.org. And if you do a Google search on Sisters of the Resurrection, and it'll come up New York province. We have many provinces in, in the world. Um, but anyway, so Sisters of the Resurrection, Google search, that's probably faster. If you can't remember the website and then all my contact information is there, our address, the, the vocation cell number. There's a contact us form, which I check, I check Google Docs every day. So that's probably the easiest way because, again, the, the contact information is there. Great. And you don't have to be thinking about being a sister to contact her either. No. She's just a cool lady to talk to. I can, <laughs> I can vouch for it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Awesome. Sister, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. We are grateful that you joined us today for another episode of the Mission Revive podcast. We humbly ask for your prayers as we continue in the mission entrusted to us to evangelize and revive hearts with Jesus. We would also ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor of this podcast or making a financial contribution to support this growing ministry. You can do this by visiting our website at revivehopeandhealing.com or through our Revive Hope and Healing Ministries patron page. We cannot do this without you. Thank you.